0: Back in Ephesians chapter 3 tonight. Ephesians chapter 3. And just a quick look at two verses uh, tonight. This morning we looked at Paul's prayer here in Ephesians chapter 3. And it's all about uh, the fact that he urges Christians to harness and use the, the power of God that's available in our lives. That so often we overlook. And we looked at how he prayed uh, for the Ephesian Christians to be strengthened by the power of the Holy Spirit that's inside of of each of us, that he encouraged uh, them to live a life of obedience and faith, and he prayed that they would comprehend and even experience the love of Jesus Christ towards each one of them. And, And that when all those things combined... And only when all of those things combined, you get down there to verse 20, where it says he he is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power that works in us. So in essence, this morning, we looked at how Paul addressed the Ephesians in this prayer. Tonight, I want to look at how he addressed God in this prayer. And I don't know if I'm reading, I'm I probably am reading too much into these two verses. I don't know. I don't, maybe I'm not. Maybe I am. Uh, I don't think there's any just uh, intended to be any deep theological meaning uh, in uh, maybe within these two verses, but maybe there is. I think there's a message for us here tonight. So let's read uh, in Ephesians chapter three. We'll read the entire text beginning in verse 14. Amen. Let's pray together tonight. Father, thank you for allowing us to be back here in your house tonight. I pray that you would speak through me tonight. Show us what you'd have us to know. In Jesus' name, amen. So focusing only uh, really on verses 14 and 15 tonight, the kind of introduction of the prayer. And consider this. As we look at this tonight, think about this. The way we address God when we pray says a lot about how we view God. It says a lot about our own feelings towards God. But consider this as well, because we're not just looking at how he addresses God, but we're looking at how he addresses God's family. And what we say, or the way we would describe the family of God says a lot about how we feel about the family of God and how we feel about our place in the family of God. So how did... How did uh, Paul describe these two? We'll just jump right into this. And uh, like I said, the contents of these two verses may not uh, be intended to hold significant theological truth, but uh, I think there's some basic matters uh, that we can get from these two scriptures. The first thing we see is that there's one Father. In verse 14, he says, For this reason I'll bow my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. There's no question... To whom Paul addresses his prayer. To, to Jehovah God. The God of our Lord Jesus Christ. No fancy words. No high and exalted titles. Just Father. You know that says a lot about the Apostle Paul's relationship with God. It says a lot about his relationship with God that he calls him Father. It's the same word that Jesus used in scripture. It says a lot about it when we pray and use the term Father. By using this title, Father, instead of using some high exalted title, it shows his level of comfort and his relationship with the creator of the universe. I don't stop right there and just to say that we can address the creator of the universe with such a level of comfort That we just reach out and we just call him daddy. Says so much about who he is and how we uh, view him. Over in Matthew uh, chapter 6, Jesus teaches the disciples how to pray. You know that in the Lord's Prayer. And he says, our Father who art in heaven, Jesus uses that. And over there uh, in in Matthew chapter 6 where the Lord's Prayer is, I underlined our Father. And I really think this was from when Brother Eric preached on it a while back. And out beside it, I wrote, know who he is. As Jesus is teaching the disciples how to pray, and he says, this is how you address him, our Father who's in heaven. Know who he is. Know who you're talking to. How often do we just casually pray without really stopping to think who we're talking to? We ought to remember he can handle anything we throw at him. And as we seek to harness the power of the Holy Spirit, we ought to remember that it's him who gave it to us. He gives us that power, and it is him who's able to do exceedingly abundantly. Are we thinking about that when we're telling him about our problems? Or are we just telling him our problems to get them off our chest, not really thinking that he can or will ever do anything about them? Paul knew who he was talking to. And we talk about the level of comfort he had in addressing God, just simply as Father. I don't have to really convince you of this, the fact that Satan is seeking to destroy the family. And to a great extent, he has. In our country and many others, he has destroyed most of the family units. When the divorce rate is well over 50%, and you have so many children growing up without a father actively in their life. And you have so many men who, even if they live in the same house with the mother and the children, don't actually play the role of father. I would say that Satan, unfortunately, is, has been pretty successful in his attack on the home and on the family unit. So think about a child whose father has been completely absent in their life, who maybe had the father who was there but was abusive towards them or towards their mother, how would they ever feel comfortable looking to God and just saying, Father? Because, see, that relationship carries a negative connotation. It gets harder and harder for entire generations to understand the love of God simply because their earthly fathers do such a poor job. And I know I said this not long ago when I filled in in Rick's Sunday school class, but I'm convinced that what the church, this church, and the church as a whole needs, probably more than anything else, is to have men step up and take part in a child's life. I'm challenging every man in the room to do that to find a way to work take, to to step up and take part in a child's life to invest in a child because they might not have another man to do it maybe that means oh wait a minute maybe that means you might work in Awana they might have looked tired last sunday but they're not dead you know i mean Iwana didn't kill any of the workers you know they survived the year We need men to step up and invest in children's lives because their eventual view of their heavenly father depends on it. Kids need those positive role models. There's one father. There's one family as we go on to look. He says, For this reason I bow my knees to the father of our Lord Jesus Christ from whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named. The whole family. There's one family. Depending on your English translation, it may say something different. The the King James Version and the New King James Version, they use that term, the whole family. I'm not really fond of of what some others, the New American Standard Bible, and maybe some others say, say every family. They read uh, more like from whom every family in heaven and earth is named. Because, see, when it comes to the family of God, there's one family. And that matters. It matters that we look at it that way. Because it's composed of all those who have placed their faith and trust in him, whether it's it's the, uh, the believing Israelites from centuries ago or whether it's you and I today. Everyone who has placed their faith and their trust in God is a part of that family. Now, I'm not talking about those who don't believe the scriptural truth but claim to be Christians. I'm not talking about every denomination under the sun as part of one family. I'm saying everyone who believes what the Bible teaches is part of one family. There's one family. That means Paul recognizes God as the father over all those who have already made it to heaven and those of us who are on the way one day. But here's what I thought about when I read that. This is what jumped out at me as I read this and really led to, to this whole uh, overview tonight. Is that there's some people in my family that are difficult to like. I'm talking about my biological family. I'm not talking about my church family. There's some people in my family that are difficult to like. And it almost seems like they try to live that way. They, they try to act that way. That They're just difficult to get along with. There's people in your family like that, too, aren't there? And if you don't think there are, it's probably the person in your mirror that's that way, right? <laughs> Everybody has those people in their family. There's people in my family who are different. I've got two sisters. We were all raised the same way. We're, all three of us have differences from each other one of them's really different. We're not going to name which one that is. One of them's really different. We're like, "What happened to, you know, what happened to her?" You have people in your family like that too, don't you? Who're different? Some people in my family they act differently. Some people, well, we'll stop there. We'll stop describing things about my family, but you know where I'm going. At the end of the day, though, you know what, they're still my family. Even if they're hard to get along with, even if they're weird, even if they don't do things that I think they ought to do, even if they, it's like, where'd you get that, you know? Why do you talk like that? You're not from there, you know? It's like, how did this happen? But you know, it's like that in the family of God, too. Some people are difficult to like, which almost seems you know, like an an oxymoron or something, you know. I mean, it just seems really weird that somebody in the family of God would be difficult to like. But see, you know, we're all uh, at different levels of our spiritual maturity. And some people are just difficult to like in the family of God. Some people are different. Some people act different. You know, some people in the family of God look different. They don't look anything like the others. I've got a red-headed sister, and I don't have any other people in my family with red hair. She just looks different. Some people in the family of God look different. They have different colored skin. They have different colored hair. They speak a different language. Some people in the family of God, they, they talk so much differently than us, and we can't even understand them because they speak another language. Some people in the family of God have a lot more money than we do. Some people in the family of God don't have any money, have a lot less money than we do we just thought we had it bad compared to others and get this get this some people who are legitimately in the family of God have a different opinion than we do on some topics and you know what they're not getting kicked out of the family for it you know and they're, they have the right to express their opinion on some things and we don't have the right to get mad at them about it you know if, if I'd probably get kicked out of some of our BMA churches in Mississippi because this is a new King James Version Bible and not a King James Version Bible. I'm not mad at them about that. Some people have differences of opinions. But at the end of the day, Paul says there's one family. There is one family of God. There's no room for prejudice in that family. God is the one Father over that entire one family. You know, I don't know that there's anything more hypocritical than a racist Christian. They don't realize their Savior's a Jew, right? They don't realize their Savior's a guy from the Middle East, right? Not, you know, I, I said this one day when, when we were at Fordyce. I was preaching, and I don't know where it came from. And I said, you know, Jesus wasn't a white guy from Alabama. And I had people in the church said. Just never really thought about it like that, you know? Jesus was different than us. I really think some people are going to get shocked when they get to heaven and see how diverse the family of God is. It's going to be quirky people in the family of God. Some of those people, I mean, all of those people who are hard to, hard to like, if they're saved, they're going to be there. People who look different, people who talk differently. Revelation 7-9 says, after these things I looked and behold a great multitude which no one could number of all nations, tribes, peoples, and tongues standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands. One day we're going to worship have the the most amazing worship experience we've ever had in the most diverse crowd we've ever been in. There's one family of God. And then the last thing that I I took from these two verses of Scripture, he says, For this reason I bow my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, from whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named. See, there's one father, there's one family, but it only makes sense, there's one name. There's one name. We make a lot of assumptions about people when we hear their last name. Especially in a small community. You know, my dad's family, the Langleys, are from Three Creeks. And uh, some people ask me, Are you, are you from the, the Smack Over Langleys? I said, I wish. <laughs> Let me tell you, you go over to Union County, and they'll judge you completely different if they think you're the Smack Over Langleys versus the Three Creek Langleys. There's a lot in a name. Around here, you could probably think of some names that if I mentioned that last name, you think, huh, yeah, they can just keep moving on. There's a lot in a name. We make a lot of assumptions about people just concerning their last name. But Paul says the entire family has been named by God. But here he doesn't give us that name, but over in 1 John chapter 3, verse 1, John gives us the name. John says, Behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us that we should be called children of God. You see, that's the name. That's the name of the family, the children of God. The Amplified Bible says it this way, See what an incredible quality of love the Father has shown to us that we would be permitted to be named and called and counted the children of God. John said that that it is so incredible that we are even permitted to be named the children of God. What great love the Father has towards us that he gives us that name. Because you know what? It ought not just be a name. It's a reality. It should be the reality of our life that we live that way. Have you ever heard maybe uh, somebody, a father or somebody say their child, say, for instance, us Langley's, we don't do that. If you're going to be a part of this family, you're not going to act that way. That's the way this name, that's what this name says to us. If you're going to be a part of this family, if you're going to be called by that name, here's the way you ought to act. Here's the things you ought to do. I think... Paul reminded the Ephesians of this in chapter 3 here in verse 15 by telling us that the entire family is named from God because he wanted them and he wants us to remember that as they reach to harness this great power of the Holy Spirit that's within them, that it didn't come from some stranger, It didn't come, this power didn't come from some foreign figure. This guy that just showed up and said, guess what? You won the lottery. Publishers Clearinghouse, we're here with balloons. That's not where our power comes from. It comes from our father, the one who named us, the one who calls us his own children. That power inside comes from a loving father who, as verse 20 tells us, is able to do exceedingly and abundantly above all that we ask or think in accordance with his power, in proportion to his power that works in each one of us. Is there anything before we dismiss tonight?